Namaste. There are few things which over the centuries mankind has learnt and this knowledge which in a way is an ancient knowledge is coming up again in different ways that we don't exist unidimensionally on a single plane of existence. It's coming in physics in a certain way, it, it is coming in biology, you know, in another way. And if you want to authentically change anything, you have to go to the seed and then you have to change things. Not even roots, but to the very seed. Uh, I see in this uh, whole development of genetically modified crops, I am not in favor of it incidentally, but I am just saying that if you really want to change not just the yield but many other aspects, so you have to basically modify the genetic structure, but genes also belong to only a one side, one aspect of the totality which we call as a plant. So wherever we look at creation, we leave aside all these discoveries and embark on our own self-discovery, we'll see that in this entire creation, everything from matter to man and beyond obeys certain fundamental principles. So one principle is that there are several layers on which things exist. And second is everywhere you will see a core around which the whole, you know, the rest of it is moving around or organized around or arranged around. Take for instance, look, we look at an atom, we have a core which is the nucleus. So around it the electrons and protons, you know, electrons are dancing all around in their orbits. Then if we look at the galaxies, we see the same thing. Solar system, we see the same thing. If we look at a cell, again we see the same thing. There is a nucleus. So all things, in everything we will see a core around which things are dancing. Second is when we uh, look at just matter, because that's what we are a bit conversant with, any form. So behind the form, there is a play of formless energies, forces, etc., and then the natural question is, what really determines these forces? After all, we understand that there are forces, science agrees. There are physical forces, psychological forces. But what determines all this play of forces? So if we start looking at a human being from this same point, we have to raise these two questions. Do we have a core? Is there a core? And if there is a core, what is that core? That core is like the seed which determines all the rest of us. Second, what are the layers on which we exist? So long time back I had uh, heard from someone this onion peel analogy and uh, you know, it's, it's now a very famous well-known paradigm, I forget the name, but there are ways that human personality is described, that there is the surface layer and there is the inner layer and then there is the core. And uh, when I had heard about it, then the speaker had said, well, at the core there is nothing and compared it to the Buddhist teaching that there is, uh, you know, no real self. But on the contrary, the what it means is that at the core there is something which is formless and yet in its essence, by its strength, it is determining the rest of the layers. We can use analogy of the flower that you have the form, we have the color and we have the perfume or the fragrance of the flower. So with human beings also, when we look at our human totality, we see that there is the instrumental personality or the instruments. Now instrumental personality means the body, the brain, 
all this through which certain forces will pour. So there is the instrumental personality. And then there are certain capacities and faculties which will use this instrumental personality. So if there is a faculty of painting, it will use the hands and it will use the eyes and it will use the brain. Or there is a capacity and a faculty of writing, it will use the same instrument. So there is the instrumental personality and then there are faculties which exist within us. And apart from the instrumental personality and the faculties, the third question is then what really decides or what really determines all these things? What really moves the thought in a certain direction to use a phrase from the Kain Upanishad? So for example, if I have to speak on let us say a subject, subject could be anything, maybe it is about um, um, today's topic, the person behind the personality. Now, what is the instrumental personality here? It is the brain and the mouth. But obviously the brain circuits are not really, you know, they are simply instruments that receive and they move my vocal apparatus in a certain way that words and sounds come out and they convey a certain meaning to the hearer. But then what is really deciding which circuits will come into play? So there comes this aspect of force and energy which is impelling, which is moving the instrument. So if that force or energy is not there, the instrument doesn't move. It remains or it, it's moving within itself randomly. But what really decides in which direction on what subject I should speak? So that's where, because accordingly the brain circuits begin to act. So that's something which determines the whole process uh, is uh, we can see it within ourselves is the will I take this decision somewhere that I have to speak on this subject and that will begins to activate all the other parts in other words will is that central switch based on which all other organs the instrument will begin to function now well we talk nowadays even about will to live and will to die so, if the will is there deep within, along with will, there is another aspect which should be there at the core. Then only they work together. It is the faith element. So, I may have a will that I want to speak, but I may not have the faith that, well, I can really speak. So, both aspects must come together, will and faith, and then the whole process starts. So, this will and faith are the parts which I need to really work upon if I have to really change myself. In other words, all authentic change will proceed from within outwards rather than simply manipulating on the surface. So, but more often than not, I'll, I'll give an example. For instance, all education is about in some kind of development. But behind this, what is really the will and the faith? So, the will may be that, well, if I go through the process of education or schooling, um, you know, education is a big word. So, most of the time it's schooling, literacy, getting a degree, a certificate. Then at the end of it, I will be able to earn money and have a decent livelihood. So, what is the will that has gone behind? The will that has gone behind is basically amassing wealth. So, I have gone through that process of schooling. Another person has also gone through the same process of schooling. And probably both, let's say, both have done equally better or one has done better and one has done worse. But another person is going through the same process so that he can develop as a beautiful human being. Now, ultimately, when the two come out with the same degree, maybe the same marks, hypothetically, and they branch out, they will have a very different kind of life curves. I have seen this in real life. I have seen extremely what would be called as brilliant students in 
MBBS people have photographic memories. They broke all the records. But as a doctor, they were, uh, you know, because doc- medicine requires a certain kind of uh, inner uh, capacities and faculties. So as a doctor, the person couldn't draw patients. So they try all kinds of things to somehow manage. And he generated a lot of wealth because the mind is working in that direction. So we must understand that when we use the word development or progress, ultimately the determinant factor is not what we are doing outwardly. What we do outwardly, we have a lot of personality training programs and a lot of time energy is invested on, uh, you know, things like makeover. I use the word makeover. It's just like when you use a makeup, you... Uh, present yourself in a way so a lot of stress is on that how you dress the tie you are wearing the the shoes must be shining so this is called a makeover so this is nothing but a presentation which makes one appear people have talked a lot about body language this is how you should sit this is how your gestures should be this is how you should walk but there is another dimension of it. This is all learned behavior, something which is outside. The behaviorist believe in this kind of modification of your personality. But all this is only about the instrumental personality. Now imagine if this instrumental personality is at the mercy of a very dark and dangerous and deceptive force. This can become this development of instrumental personality itself becomes a danger to the world. So very often we are carried away by all these outer demeanor, gestures. Um, you know, we, we look at a person, let's say head of a state or other people and how the person is outwardly behaving. So we have this tendency that somebody who is behaving in a very polished way, saying certain cliches, the person is very good. But much of it is a learned behavior and we get fooled and we get cheated. And we cheat others and we cheat ourselves when we live life like that. So while it is important to develop the instrumental personality, no doubt about it, the brain should be developed, it should become wide, supple, it should be able to hold in complex systems of knowledge and ultimately schooling process is a means to uh, you know, develop all this complexity and plasticity. And that's why it's important to have... Um, to study all the subjects for a long, long time. You know, this idea of branching out too soon into physics chemistry on you know what is called as a science side or an art side or economics not a good thing because then what is happening is you are begin to develop even before your personality is formed into one single direction it's not a good thing because the left right brain all the different aspects of your mind should develop so what happens with that the the brain as an instrument develops in not just complexity but in wideness as well as in Uh, various kinds of um, subtleties, refinement. So all this is about the instrumental personality. Now behind the instrument, there are the faculties. So can faculties be developed? Now here comes the usual question that there is nature versus nurture. Well, technically, yes, there are certain things. It is true that they are inborn and innate. But it is equally true that it is possible at least for human beings to develop certain things which are not there in nature. So how do we develop it? For instance, if I don't have an eye for beauty, if I don't have an eye for painting, can I develop it? It can be developed. Now what will really determine the development? Is it really a mechanical training or is it something else within me? What can be called as an enthusiasm. So it is well known that when people really want to learn something, they learn. So we go back to this element called will and faith. So this will and faith are the keys which we need to hold 
uh, within us very it's it's a very precious thing and we have to train them for instance there are people in whom the will is very weak so even if they want very soon it gives gives way then the second element is that i mean it stops functioning after some time it cannot persevere it is not persistent the second aspect is this will is often covered by something known as desire which is mistaken for will so will is something much deeper much more fundamental intrinsic whereas the desire is something which is drawn by the object the difference is will is subject driven whereas the desire is object driven so desire wants let's say money i desire money but will may not be for money will may be that well i want to lead a comfortable life or i want to lead a happy life i want happiness now it believes that by these objects i can get happiness so it can be covered it can be distorted etc etc and similarly there is something called as a basic faith and these two ingredients are most fundamental which we need to develop now these two faculties will and faith are the reflex of wisdom and power knowledge and power which is inbuilt in all whole creation so this inbuilt faith and will are the two fundamental attributes of the soul and its core is of course love but we can come to that a little later so this element within us there is something deep within us like a core like the essential the seed which determines the rest of our journey so this is something very interesting because even when you have two twins who who may have not just similar physical appearances but even have many similarities in psychological characteristics yet they may follow very different curves of evolution and that's because deep within us there is something else which determines instrument is the same there may be same faculties but yet something within for instance as i said two expert painters same faculties instrument is very good responding but one becomes a genius and the other becomes nothing but uses his paintings to earn millions now this is something which we need to explore and that something is the soul within now that is the yogic point of view so there are three basic point of views of understanding our humanity one of course we need not discuss is the purely material point of view that we are just a product of material creation and we have evolved like the animals so we are a social animal and i don't need to you know it's it's a waste of time to talk about it if we really believe that we should not be here <laughs> so that's one now the second aspect is that uh, we take from certain religious uh readings or scriptures that man is a fallen being and what we call as a soul is nothing but the like the animals the life spirit within him the energy within him and after he dies this energy leaves him and goes away and it goes wherever you know depending on the deeds that we have done but there is still deeper view and that is that there is within us fundamentally a seed like a core and this seed is divine now this is an important discovery made by the yogis the rishis but it is not something which is a belief system which i keep reminding it's something which can be replicated so what are the advantages of you know looking at things in this way it means that fundamentally deep within us all of us carry a divine possibility this is one thing which we need to understand meaning thereby that this idea that somebody is good somebody is wicked somebody is bad somebody is very nice all these are our surface judgments about ourselves and about others both are there two sides of the same thing each one carries within oneself a core which is divine 
It's like a divine element inside a person. Now, what is this divine element doing? Is it just like a witness that life after life, you are just coming back and back until one day you wake up and say, Oh, I want moksha. This is a horror in which I have somehow somebody has caught me and put me here. Now, that's not the uh, truth of the matter. The truth of the matter, because it will be an absurdity to be caught here like a trap and then just go through cycles of birth and rebirth and at the end remain the same forever and suddenly you wake up and say, Oh my God, I was in a wrong place and I just need to get back. So this divine element goes through its own evolutionary journey through the process of rebirth. So in each life, it gathers certain kind of experiences and through these experiences, something of this deeper core develops. So there is a growth which is taking place in the deepest core of our being. And that growth is something which we are not usually aware on the surface. So all the surface experiences which come through the senses, which come through, you know, all various ways of information are churned. They go to the mind and from the mind they go somewhere still deeper. And that's how they slowly feed that divine element and the divine element grows. And it grows from one life to another and second life to the third till it reaches a point where it wants to begin expressing itself. So three things emerge from there. One, that in our core, there is a divine element. Second, this divine element has to develop, unfold. So all evolution is about this divine element which will express itself. So through lives we develop a better mind, a better heart and even physicality, though physicality follows the larger collective law, because these instrumental personalities, these capacities normally are limited by nature. For instance, let me take an example, the instrumental personality of the body and brain. Now in each age of mankind, it is different. In that particular age, there, there are ages when people lived long, they had a very strong uh, vitality. There, there are ages like that, in which they lived like that. But they couldn't go beyond. Then Again, our faculties and capacities, they are also limited by nature within a certain limit. For example, I, my eyes can see within a certain range, but can I have the faculty of subtle vision? Can I have the faculty of spontaneous knowledge, intuitive knowledge? Ordinarily, no, because nature has put a ceiling around it. So when I talk about development, it will reach this ceiling and then it will stop. But if, now that's where comes this element, that if this soul develops, it can break that barrier of nature. So initially, the soul seems to be determined by nature and the instrument. By nature is meant all the forces, energies that move us and the faculties that develop within us. And the, by instrument is meant largely the physical, vital, mental personality, which is, uh, you know, outward. So all the capacities of the physical and the mental instrument. So as we develop, we touch a ceiling point. But then if we have to develop, can we bring in new capacities? Let's say for instance, um, in the case of healing. So normally we are limited by all our medical knowledge, what we call as knowledge. And accordingly we act. Now, 200 years back people felt that you know what they knew was knowledge. But now we know that it was not knowledge, it was a very crude thing. Now who knows after 50 years... Uh, medical science will laugh back when it looks back at people who were operating, giving these pills that, oh my God, they were very crude people because they may discover new ways of uh, healing. 
and those capacities those faculties are there within us but they are not awake they are lying within so they are part of the larger nature which is hidden behind our limited nature but this larger nature if we have to develop it or activate it in our system two things are important one is that the soul must reach that point of development which is where it begins to go beyond the human formula if it confines within the human formula only this much is given it's like a student who is in standard 8 wants to study the you know higher physics he cannot he has to go through this schooling process then he can be allowed to read it of course there are students who may be super brilliant and while they are in lower classes they can pick up but ordinarily we have to complete the curve of nature up to the highest point which humanity can reach and then we can still go further and as we go further a new kind of determinism begins to operate within us leading to development of faculties which are right now asleep so when these faculties begin to develop you know there is a, a saying in in hindi there is a, a poem and i think in english also it's a biblical saying he makes the dumb speak and he makes the uh, lame walk and cross the mountains so it's not uh, just uh, you know um it's not just a way of saying because of an exaggerated belief it is possible it is possible because there are things hidden within us as possibilities but for that we have to complete this curve and then we have to cross over so in other word there are two levels at which nature exists within us one is this nature that we know the present capacities the present uh faculties the present instrumental personality but there are other capacities and faculties which belong to a larger supernature and these can manifest and express within us provided within us this soul has reached this point of development now how does it declare itself this soul has reached this point of development now there we have to look inside ourselves and discover the will and faith within us often people look at only the surface appearances we also can be sometimes caught in our surface appearances and sometimes people you know just few days back someone said something very interesting it's a very common refrain incidentally oh i am horrible i am bad i have this i have that i have all the kinds of you know things but i also wish and seek and aspire to love the divine and to serve the divine and to be forever at the service of the divine now you see what is this that the person is calling as bad is nothing else but uh, you know uh, we can say that uh, it's the dust that you gather when you are traveling on the path any journey you know when you undertake a journey from place a to play place b whether it be train or flight or any journey even through the cleanest of environment one of the first necessities is to go back and when you reach you want to take a bath why because you have gathered some dust so in the course of human life we gather certain things on the surface and it comes from the surface from the collective life that is around us the the way the society is organized today you pick up certain things even when you don't want for instance one of the common things that people have picked up with the development of the mind is lying it's a convenient way to escape certain consequences or so called consequences it is just picked up because it become a way of life um, one picks picks it up or uh, a kind of ambition to succeed in terms of money so again people have picked it up so as children are growing up they you know uh, they just uh, uh, 
you ask them what job will you do so they immediately think uh, okay a job which can get me good money so it's instantly this something which they have picked up uh, so this is how uh, people pick up certain thing which is nothing but dust as we travel on the way if 500 years back or 1000 years back people were asked what do you want to do they would not use this probably they will say something else because depending upon each age you have a different set of values which govern a society so uh, these things are belonging to the surface when we identify with it then obviously we are mistaking making a big mistake it's about others we become judgmental we condemn them or we judge ourselves we criticize ourselves and we condemn ourselves but that's not what we are it is the shadow it is the outer covering so what really is uh, determines who we are or what is going to shape our future now what is going to shape our future is deep within the will and faith so we have to look carefully inside and discover what really is my will and often it is entangled into okay but it's not possible one of the ways that the mind covers the will is that no it's not possible so we don't even look into that direction so one of the things that uh, i often advise people or suggest to people is that okay for a moment imagine that you didn't have any of the outer trappings uh, or needs that i have to do this to earn money i have to do this for livelihood now tell me what would you like to really really what is your means of self expression what really you want to become and well the person may say that i want to you know have a big job in which i earn money fair enough now it means that the deeper will is covered it's still being covered by the uh, whole dust of the world the soul is still asleep and it will take some time to grow up we should not try to um, you know prematurely probe inside because when you do that you will end up basically cutting the pupa of the caterpillar prematurely or cut open the or you know egg has to hatch at the right time if you try to prematurely hatch the egg uh, or uh, you know try to break open you can only make a omelet uh, or anda bhujiya out of it so if we don't want to make anda bhujiya and omelet of people we should allow them to develop it doesn't matter there is a principle of gradualty and progression through lives that's why there is a system of rebirth so rebirth is precisely a means for this long evolutionary journey so if a person is unable to go deep enough and say well ultimately i want to earn a lot of money and lead a life of comfort it doesn't mean that the person's uh, will and faith are of this kind it simply means that he has not yet discovered that deeper self because it is still asleep so what is what should such a person do so such a person should first individualize oneself because when you individualize that's when you begin to develop this thing inside because when you individualize you are compelled to make choices for instance you want to earn livelihood how do you want to earn livelihood by fair means foul means what will you do with this money so the mind has to assist this process of individualization it is the mind which will assist some kind of a discerning intellect and that's all that can be achieved possibly in a particular lifetime for such an individual a discerning mind which is easy enough to develop and thereby to make choices which are based by the mind and whatever we want to do or develop we should know what is to be done with it then a time comes when there is something like a dream which begins to take shape within us so there are people in every age and uh, they are few in number but they begin to dream of an ideal world they begin to dream of an ideal 
um, you know, state to be in. They begin to dream of an ideal person. Usually this dream starts by uh, wanting an ideal world. An ideal world, of course, each one defines in his own way. But let's say dream of love, harmony, unity, peace, um, joy, mutuality. And this, this kind of dream. A world governed by wisdom, a world governed by love. So usually it starts by something which is external. We start looking for it in people. And then in the next step, we begin to turn inside and begin to feel. Where is this dream coming from? Now, when we look carefully at this dream, this is the most precious element in human life. Often we hear about that, you know, you must dream and you, you realize what you dream. But, but, well, somebody can dream of being uh, a super rich person. That's hardly a dream. That's nothing but wishes that one has gathered from all around. But what is my dream? What is the story of life that I want to write with myself? Now that way when we go still deeper, we discover within us there is a will to be. And that will will eventually determine my future. So it is that the pressure of this will, the pressure of this faith, which will make life blossom, which will develop within me all that is required to be developed. So what are we to do with all the things which we call as negative in our personality? Well, don't focus so much on that. Don't struggle so much with that. Because if we start struggling, we are prematurely launching ourselves into all kinds of conflict. Try nurturing and nourishing and watering this dream within, this will to be. And this will to be is what is called in the yogic language as an aspiration. It's what we really deep within would want. It could be anything. It could be will for true knowledge. It could be will for love for the divine. It could be service. It could be you know a greater self. Call it by whatever name. It could be for truth. And this must be nurtured and uh, treasured. It's the most important treasure. And along with this will, faith. So these are the two elements. So how do we nurture faith? Everything that comes and starts throwing doubt upon it. This is something which we have to reject. So doubts come from where? They will come from the mind, they will come from the vital, they will come from the body, which will say it's impossible, this is a just a wishful thinking. Refuse them. Stay with the will to be. This will to be is precious. Keep faith alongside. Faith, faith is the light upon the way and will to be is the power. These are two things which are given to us, the most priceless gifts. And deep within this faith and will to be is the soul. So this... Psychic element must be developed. Uh, people often speak about discovering the soul, but first we must develop it because not everybody has a developed soul. So people often, I have seen classes, how to find the psychic being. But everybody doesn't have the psychic being. It's just a psychic element. What I mean is that it's still asleep. So it's not yet a being. It is a work in progress. So, the first step should be nurturing and nourishing the psychic element in us. To make it more simple, each one of us has a divine element. Because sometimes terminology is, uh, oh, what is the difference between psychic, soul and our mind gets trapped. So let's say there is a divine element in us and this divine element needs to be nurtured and nourished. Based on this, all the rest of our life will depend. This is the key to all change. So, we have a very interesting story, you know, how this nurturing it or how this changeover can come. So we have that story of Ratnakar who is of course well known. He is a dacoit who is murdering, he is robbing and one day something happens and suddenly his life undergoes a change. He just meets one of the sages whom he 
tries to rob and he asks him a few questions and suddenly his life undergoes a change and he becomes the famous uh, seer poet Valmiki. So essentially it's about nourishing this. If we nourish this core, all the rest will follow. If we have not nourished it, we are trying to struggle, change things from outside, it will collapse. We try to do it with the mind. There are so many interesting stories even in the ashram context where somebody asked that well so and so person used to you know sit for meditation for a long time and you know he would not meet anyone much. He used to wear this kind of dress. Why suddenly he left and he you know he the whole sadhana took a different track and then Shrubindu says there is a very interesting letter that you all have a strange impression of Deciding a person's inner value based on the number of hours one sits in meditation or if one leads a secluded life or if one is eating one meal a day. All these are purely external things. Even Asuras have done it. I mean, Ravana used to meditate. Meditate so much. He had also read the Shastras. But deep within the will in him was of an Asuric kind. He wanted the divine to appropriate him so that he becomes the sole custodian and it is he who becomes the mediating uh, power between Shiva and the rest of the world. And see, it is so dangerous because you can't tie the divine to your own fixed formula. He chooses his own he can disclose himself, the divine can disclose himself through a birth, through a babble of a child. And nobody can claim to be exclusive mediator. Because in the whole world speaks of this divine element. And all who have been true mediators, intermediaries, chosen by the divine, say this. They never say that, me exclusively. They say, well, I am a mediator. There are many others. And to somebody who is awake, who is seeking, the whole world begins to speak and reveal of the divine. There are so many beautiful prayers of the mother to that extent. So essentially, this is the focus which we must uh, take into consideration. So how to nurture and nourish the psychic being? So just as we have food for the physical, we eat good food, healthy food. If we eat junk food, the body will fall sick. Similarly, we have food for the vital strength and vigor. We draw energy from various sources. One of them, unfortunately, is our association with people. So when we walk through a crowd, very often people feel drained. Some people, of course, feel very energized when they return from a market. I don't know, but you know, <laughs> for many of us, it's a horrifying experience. The fact of going into the market, going to a mall, a cinema hall, by the time you come back, because you have drawn in a kind of energy which you are no more used to. Whereas there are people who want to go because they draw a kind of energy which drives them. It's like if you have an engine which runs on electricity and you put on all its electrical panels coal. So it's not going to run, it will stop working. Whereas a coal-driven engine wants coal. So we must be careful about what energies we are feeding into the vital. So that's why company, people or interchange of forces is important because the kind of energy we feed, that kind of energy begins to drive our engine. Similarly for the mind, we can feed thoughts which bring in a state of uh, harmonious, happy, joyous uh, discovery of knowledge or we can throw into the mind all kinds of despondency, doubts, uh, all kinds of thoughts which... Uh, prevent us from true knowledge. So that's why it's so important. People often say, think positive, think positive. So how to think positive? Read books which are full of positive thoughts. Because books are not only company, books are 
you know things which will um, that consciousness enters into us those thoughts into us one of the simplest way to engage in developing positive thoughts is to read books like swami vivekananda shri ramakrishna paramahansa if you want to develop your you know inner being raman maharishi you have the bhagavad gita and of course sri aurobindo and the mother i am not even putting in that category because i don't like to club them with anyone or anything but these are books which automatically will go into the mind and create a state of harmonious positivity and they will help the mind to grow so it's a you know nourishment for the mind but these books which are known as scriptures they nurture not only the mind they nurture something still deeper and that's why reading of these books can actually nourish the soul see people say how to aspire read swami vivekananda read swarbindo and the mother you'll end up developing the aspiration because you'll automatically feel that the world in which we are living and the way we are living the things for which we are seeking and wanting none of it is really worth it there is something much deeper of infinite value now we all read about these things from here and there why do these words impact us because these words carry within themselves the fire of the person who has written them or who has spoken it so it's should be part of our everyday uh, you know routine uh, routine is not a good word sounds too mechanical but everyday living or everyday practice that we should spend reading very often people say straight away want to learn meditation first read it's so important shastra is one of the things which is in important aid so when we begin to read the right kind of shastra or the scripture which means we read madhur and shirbindo in this yoga context we read the bhagavad gita we read um, swami vivekananda then it starts feeding our soul it automatically begins to wake up because that is the food it was missing and we need to nurture it now of course we can read it very mechanically or we can read it with the joy with the will to know with the will to discover and there is a difference in in doing that so we must nurture this psychic element the second aspect uh, which helps this psychic element to nurture is uh, love for beauty truth and good these are three things which one should practice in everyday life for instance when we are doing any action so we should see normally we act under the impulse of selfishness how it is going to benefit me how it is going to profit me how it is going to be to my advantage sometimes not even advantage it's just like pleasure it gives me pleasure so i'm doing it but instead if we reflect back and see whether this action is really good whether it is beautiful whether it is based on something true by true i mean that not just physical speaking of truth or you know but truth which is deep inside let's take for instance in human relationship now when we um, you know have a relationship uh, with different aspects in the world not only human actually with everybody uh, in this uh, whole creation but let's take zero in on human relationship now there is a person with whom you are connected and that person is very rough very angry anger prone and very you know has uh, things which are on the surface very uh, really which which make it difficult difficult person now you have to see whether this is the totality of that person i mean always there is the deeper element but if it is completely asleep if it is just this which is on the surface then perhaps it is better to move away because if you don't move away you are going to get hurt and you are going to get drawn and sucked into that 
or if the relationship is based only on this aspect. But equally, you can go deeper and see that there is in the other person some element of truth, something which is deep within like a soul of beauty, like a soul of, you know, uh, that is turned toward the divine. Then your relationship should be based, uh, touching upon that point. See, I, I remember one very interesting story. Um, there used to be this lady who had come from, um, along with the Sayyid's family from Hyderabad. And there are very interesting stories about that whole family. So, in that we had on one side, one of the sisters who actually lost her mind because it's very difficult to stay near the divine and keep yourself in the senses. And this lady would feel like pushing. Uh, the mother would even harbor thoughts of killing and all these things. And yet, Shurabindran, the mother will keep on showing tremendous compassion towards her. Now, was this compassion simply because, you know, she had come into the fold? Would they show the same, deal the same way towards anybody who is crazy? Well, no, it is not like a uniform outer standard of conduct. But because deep within there was something in this woman that did respond. That's how she came. So, it is this element that the divine holds and plays with. So, in our dealings with people, we should see. Of course, there are some people in whom largely there is the surface personality. The soul is too asleep. And while we did not, uh, you know, rebuke them, condemn them, nobody should be condemned uh, because everybody has the divine element. We don't need to constantly engage in our relationship with them because right now it will not help them and it is going to harm you, uh, your own growth. But at the same time, there are some in which there is a beautiful element and it gets covered, either temporarily covered or it is part of their nature, something on the surface. So there it's important to relate with this deeper core. And if we do that, we'll see that a whole world begins to change because we are associating with the truth. So when we use the word truth, it, it is uh, even in a group life, this is very important because the soul which is developing seeks the company of similar people. And nothing can be more helpful and nothing can be more harmful than this. Why? Because it can be very helpful because in the sense, when people come together with a common aspiration, it's a great joy. You know, it, that's what is called a satsang. People often ask the value of satsang. Well, it is there. That's why we have in the ashram, mother gave a new way of doing satsang. Somebody had asked once a question that whether satsang is there as part of this yoga or not. Well, the word satsang is not used. But... I mean, we don't, shouldn't become slave of a word. But well, the mother did approve of collective study circles. What is study circle? What satsang? I mean, you don't use the word satsang. Uh, at the same time, she gave certain directions about the study circle. And what was they? That well, people come together, stay quiet, let there be a quiet atmosphere. They read uh, some passages, then they quietly meditate and then you go silently. So this is satsang. Collective meditation is even more higher form of satsang, where people come together and they do satsang. So what is happening in this situation? We are joining with the core inside every human being. But then how does it degenerate? The moment we step out or the moment we come out. So we want to have some kind of you know vital enjoyment, let's have some 
food together then some discussion start then you know the discussion becomes heated and animated that's why if you look you know mother gave some very interesting rules not rules but uh, she taught us that way but people turned it into a rigid rule that's a different thing altogether i'll tell you how people <laughs> turn it into a rigid rule also so for instance in departments she advised people to sit quietly and work so it was not a place to start discussions uh, because when human beings discuss we know what happens so it's very rare that the discussion will remain on level ground very soon there will be opinions there will be opinionatedness there would be conflict there would be disagreement and sometime there would be a permanent schism between two people so she generally advised not generally it was it was that in the department you should do the work quietly and be concentrated on the work it was a very wisest council i have not you know heard a wiser council from anyone in a workplace if one just follows it lot of complication will be avoided and it's told in hindi as kaam se kaam se matlab rakho and in english is mind your own business mother has literally used this word each one should mind their own business because otherwise there is a problem now how it turns into a kind of rigid rule that i'll tell you so so uh, well uh, one other person let me put it in third person so suddenly there is you know uh, no work let's say for at a stretch of one hour you don't have a work so what do you do so of course stay quiet now you can sit in meditation but you you're not all the time sitting in meditation so you pick up a book and you read a book whose book madrid shirbindo suddenly the person tells no 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 you're not supposed to read Mother and Shivinder's books, and Mother and Shivinder's books are there in the department. There, they are there, right there in the cupboard. We aren't supposed to read. Why? Because you have to remain quiet. Now you see, this is where rules turn into. Now your mind is a factory which is generating all kinds of nonsensical things. Much better if you don't have work. Of course, it should not be that you are. Uh, uh, you know, this sometimes I feel. because sometimes when i don't have a work i can share this work means outwardly let's say in in my clinic if a patient has not come so i have other kinds of work i may be replying to an email or there is a question asked on whatsapp and i am responding to that so suddenly oh you are on the phone i said yes but i am working on the phone i am not <laughs> i am not so you see this this uh, these are by the way i mean new age dilemmas for example <laughs> when classic is on the samadhi near that if you are sitting in the ashram area you are supposed to now switch off the phone why because some people would start opening and reading now what were they reading instead of reading a book they were reading let's say through the phone nowadays phone is used for reading of course samadhi is an area meant for inner concentration that's something which mother has written and it would be so nice just to write that rather than you know that it's a place for quiet concentration not a place for talking not a place for reading that people will understand but they don't know they just hear the word silence and silence for them means that you know outwardly remain silent and rest you can do whatever so they don't understand why we shouldn't uh, take out a phone and begin to read so uh, leaving aside these ramifications the point is that we have to touch that core of truth now that truth is not something like a fixed formula that's what i am trying to say truth is not something which you can apply uniformly to everyone and everywhere we have to seek for it we have to feel for it we have to look inside it and we have to apply it 
then the second criteria is good as i said doing this is it going to be good for me a simple act in our everyday relationship when i use a harsh language when i am critical about others am i really doing good to them maybe i am just taking off my anger but i am harming them and i am really harming not only my own evolution which of course i am i am also harming other persons evolution is not a good thing i shouldn't do it i may have a certain view point i may be hurt inside i have to look inside my own hurt rather than you know uh, what is really hurt me then i will grow closer to the core because i am valuing good and then the third is beauty in actions in speech when we live for truth good and beauty then of course we draw closer to the soul element and third element which is most important the attribute of the soul is love so the of course there are two aspects of love one is the surface heart all kinds of emotions which are you know we throw around literally we have those you know like so many hearts people uh, send on whatsapp messages 20 hearts i don't know where do they manage it's a surface heart it means nothing we should not get overawed by 20 hearts it means there is nothing which has come because <laughs> because obviously uh, but people get so moved by all these hearts flying around uh, we should not take them as real okay so <laughs> so this is the surface emotional life where you say oh i love you so much and then you know by afternoon it's all gone vaporized is a surface heart so you wonder what happened in the morning the person expressed like this and what has happened in the evening because it's surface heart surface heart is just emotions that come like waves and then they pass away if we learn to step back from the surface heart surface emotion we'll see that it doesn't stay sometimes it vanishes within uh, god knows you know 10 minutes 10 minutes is a big time sometimes by afternoon it changes but there is a deeper inmost heart and there is the seat of love and the nature of this love is truly to give oneself to the best in the person for the sake of the best so this deeper heart we must try to bring out activate this energy of love which is hidden inside which we seldom release it and this love initially when the soul is developing or to help it develop is to love creation love human beings it's a simple way people straight away say love the divine and sometime when they have skipped a step i have heard someone a very senior person a elderly person creating a contradiction of sort by telling a young person who had come uh, the person just expressed you know i have lot of love for animals so the person says what you should love god as if the two are contradicting each other i mean <laughs> well a person who loves god loves his creation because creation is not cut off from the creator so one of the signs if you say that you are claiming to love god and you do not love creation then you do not love god himself you know there are some very interesting aphorisms of shirvinda one of them is they claim to love god but they do not love men who are you in love with then this is one the second one he says to love god excluding him from the creation is to give him an intense but a narrow embrace so start with love anywhere but true love take care of a plant take that's why this energy really is very healing the one energy which i have found most healing even greater than peace is the power of love what does peace do it stabilizes you it takes away the clouds and this thing but love actually heals it brings in joy it brings in the will to live it brings in 
once again your will and faith which were clouded covered drooping they again you know blossom so start loving something someone maybe a plant start from there start by loving you know things around the people around the work that one is doing and those who are associated but this love will eventually at some point of time will start turning towards the creator and when that happened then we can say that really the development of the psychic is complete then we can talk about discovering the psychic being why i say so not based on any uh, i have my own logic to it it's not based on any any kind of uh, uh, irrational belief so the reason is that if we look at creation when it plunged into darkness what is the energy that went first to rescue it it is love so if you see love is the savior which step by step is rescuing creation out of the state of inconscience so what is the last sign of rescue when creation turns in love for the creator you see the baggage which has gone the power that has gone first comes out the last so this is regardless of whatever people may talk about knowledge they may call it emotionality sentimentality but logically speaking logically speaking when love begins to turn toward the creator it means you have completed the journey its cycle is complete and that means that now the psychic being has become ripe then we can talk about really search for the psychic being in the true sense of the word before that we should nurture it nourish it satsang visit to places which help it uh, meet people sometimes associating with people in the right way of course which can nurture it through books through reading through meditation through acts of good kindness their psychic qualities compassion gratitude Uh, kindness sympathy they are all psychic qualities to cultivate them very consciously because qualities we can cultivate and to keep the will and faith always intact what is the will to be well if my will to be is that i must become one with the divine nothing thousand and one defects in my nature cannot stop me from doing that but if my will is not that that even if i live in a place of you know spiritual place for decades and i have all the guidance available i will not be able to make use of it because i may be attracted people ask sure when though that why some some people came and they were you know eventually fell out he says because they were drawn by uh, the seeking for power there are people who want power they want to become yogis and the first thing they start doing is foolish things like changing their appearances so that they look like yogis because that's the easiest thing to do and if they get unfortunately they start deceiving themselves others you can deceive but don't deceive yourself by appearances you become a yogi whatever it means so it's a very dangerous thing because then the authentic progress stops so there are people who are attracted for these reasons and therefore and yet should be the say they are given a chance because the will to be was not really to discover the divine for the sake of the divine that's why the mother says before you take to yoga all this discovery of psychic being comes later on why do you want the yoga if it is for the sake of the divine then divine for the sake of the divine that means what it means love has blossomed fully or at least love has been born and when love is born there is a link between the creation and the creator no outer guru is needed that link is enough because that link cannot be formed without the psychic picking up in the ascending gear and once that happens the rest of the journey is history so it is this core we must focus upon 
nurture, nourish, develop, discover uh, through so many means. I have just touched upon a few. And if we can do it, the rest will automatically follow. Uh, it has been said in the Upanishads that this is that beauty and glory within us, seeing which many of the defects fall away. Yam Pashyanti, Ritya Shina Dosha, all the doshas, the defects, they fall away, which hypnotizes. Also because this is a direct connection with the divine grace. While the mind may say, but the mind also says, I am calling the divine grace, but can it she really cure me of this thing inside me? This is too big a defect. I have the most defective piece. But the psychic being knows that the divine grace can not only cure, that it alone can cure and will cure. Because that is how the psychic being operates. That's why to access the divine through the psychic being means to eventually make this whole, our nature, stainless and pure, a single whole, harmonious whole. And to make ourselves as a whole develop towards uh, greater and greater perfection, which means development of new capacities, new faculties, and even it has an impact upon the instrumental personality. The brain develops, the body develops, the heart develops. All these aspects will automatically develop because all creation actually evolves in its real sense from within outward and from by receiving something from above downwards. Once we understand the logic of this, then the rest follows inevitably. Namaste. If there are any questions, I'll be happy to take them. Thank you very much, Dr. Rock, for a wonderful exposition of the inmost being. Does anyone have any questions? Actually, um, one of the things that often besets our love is, the, is duality. How do we overcome duality in our love? If you ask me one single line answer, all dualities in fact, including in love, go away by seeing the divine presence in everything and everywhere. Now it is hard. It's very hard. The mind will, we have to start with the mind because uh, the heart, surface heart automatically reacts. It is programmed for that. Seems so, to be what separates human yeah. love and divine love. It's duality. Yes, that's right. Achha, this way you are speaking of human love and divine love. Well, if there is, I mean, how I, I proceed, I can say that if there is divine element in every aspect of creation, why yeah. not in human beings who are the most, you know, <laughs> developed of this whole thing but we have to be careful that in a human being whether we are associating with the divine element in the human being or with the surface personality that's where the whole trick lies so very consciously we must try to tune into the divine element nurture that nourish it and not be overpowered by the other person's uh, you know it can be a very extreme situation we have you know instances in Indian scriptures about um, an asur kanya loving uh, you know divine being even indra's daughter who is a god you know she's a goddess she marries a asura and there are rivers also where there is a asuric being whom a godlike creature marries so basically we have to join we have to basically in everything dig deep and look at one small little divine element that's how the mother related with human beings she loved all human beings 
Now, when she was loving all, now there is a little tricky question here which I will just touch upon. So, but when she loved human beings, she associated only with their beautiful element. People spoke about their difficulties, their defects, everybody saw. But mother said, this is one of her very beautiful things. My child, I always look upward, I always look towards beauty, towards light, towards truth. I, and then she advises this I think is to Huta I may be wrong but this one of the well known letters she said you don't look at this side stop looking at this dark side and this everybody has difficulties don't look at that side so deliberately consciously we have to look at even one little element little ray of hope that's enough now it's only problem in human love is and that's where I think the challenge lies with, I don't know whether I have found the perfect answer or not, but I have tried and I am trying, that is there something like an exclusivity of relationship? I am not sure. I can only say that there will be at any point of time different kinds of relationships where each one is expressing some aspect with, one, with which one gets close. Yet you have to deep inside associate with the core. That means don't get involved as far as possible with the surface personality and all these desire cells which are bound to come in. Get back to the core as soon as one can. At the same time, there will be someone with whom you have, you share your core aspiration. But that is not in that exclusive sense that now you know you become a close circle. On the contrary, when you find such a person or you are, you know, destiny, don't look for such a person, but destiny puts you together, then you have to, in fact, that's a embrace in which the whole world can come. It's a power. When two such beings come together who share the core aspiration, then they strengthen each other's uh, psychic parts, nurture it very beautifully, support each other's journey and then they can enter into the whole world, take take on the whole world with all the manifold relationship it contains. But this is the trickiest part of the uh, question of human love and the divine love. It is the problem that comes within human love itself because it is a certain kind of human love, not all. Mother can have many children. Uh, children can have, of course, there will be one mother but pe- people who nurture like, you know, uh, like a mother, like a parent, like brother, sister. There, there is not a problem. But there is a kind of relationship uh, where a certain kind of exclusivity, where there is not just a mutual position, but an exclusive position which comes in. So that is a challenge which I am sure the future has its way. It's already beginning to get solved at one level. But otherwise, to see the divine in the person, to associate with the divine, my own experience is that, you know, if we get caught into the web of the lower network where these, you know, these dualities lie, uh, then we start differentiating between divine and the human. Uh, like, for instance, if I uh, love someone and I start getting dragged into the outer quagmire, then my response within is, uh, has been that, oh, this human love is, you know, Nonsense. Then you want to turn to the divine. And you get a lot of relief, solace. It's your not backup original plan. And you are so happy because you have left it. But ultimately at some point you have to deal with the human. After all, creation is not made for turning away from it. Because otherwise you are turning away. There is a beautiful book, incidentally a small booklet. It's based on an article by Nalnida to love man. I, I I read it and you know you have to read and reread it. It's something very amazing, where he says that there are three stages of uh, this uh, 
our growth of love within us one is where we love each other very ignorantly and life becomes bitter sweet but uh, eventually it becomes a turbulent phase then there is second aspect where we love god we say we are done with this we cannot you know engage in this love so we turn toward the divine in an exclusivity through a narrow path and then when we have discovered the divine because it begins to touch and pour into our heart we don't need love from any human being that the beauty the sign of that is we never engage in love because i want somebody to be my companion i want somebody to really uh, share my troubles with a shoulder to cry none of this you are a very strong vehicle and channel of that love which pours into you but this love not randomly starts going anywhere and everywhere but it finds its own path its own destiny its own destinations and when that happens then one can be free of this uh, sense of duality and still whenever it happens because in human interaction uh, unlike you know if you are uh, loving god in a stone it's very easy the stone will have no reactions <laughs> unless the pandit decides to pick up the stone and throw at you otherwise stone itself will have no reactions or your own belief systems may have a reaction that you know stone god is there he'll get angry with me uh, if you love plants animals generally you know you won't have reactions with human beings the reaction comes and that's where the problem lies and if we know how to understand that in every human being there is this lower network and there is a higher network there is this surface personality and there is the deeper divine element and every time the surface personality tries to draws into the uh, lower movement the lesser self uh, i must tune myself back one has to be vigilant that's what vigilance is for me not cutting off but to retune to the divine element and sometimes the situation may look seemingly impossible but always i believe that if destiny places some people with you it's with a purpose and uh, we should respect that purpose we may not understand it all the time unless yes of course if it becomes life threatening <laughs> of course uh, it depends on what you can take and how much you can take but if i look at mother and shubindu's example they kept people around who were literally you know asuric beings not that we are we are like that but that is the journey eventually for every human being so we have to learn to connect with the divine element and either ignore uh, that which is you know for the sake of understanding on divine or we can use the word yet not divine if possible help refining it if not possible leave it aside keep relating with the divine element unless either the other person is unable to take the pressure that's what happened with shirvind and the mother people just walked away eventually they never sent anybody away incidentally they walked away now that happens it's a different thing altogether or else the person will discover at some point of time the divine element and grow so that is how i look at human love and its journey uh, even between two people the principle is the same and actually if you associate with the divine element all these dark elements which come in possessiveness and you know control and domination which comes from our animal and more uh, you know uh, asuric element they automatically are not there uh, all that which comes with lust and you know invariably i have seen that you know with lust comes all these it opens a door inside for these elements but when you free yourself from that love is beautiful literally pure and something very from the depths it nurtures nourishes but there is no dependency there is nothing which hangs on pulls um, um what shall i say which starts pulling the other person's vital all that is certainly not uh, not love that's how i
I feel it's it's a difficult thing, but at some point each one has to do that. Depends on the stage of one's development. So if one is in the middle stage, abandon everything and seek the divine. But the more you find the divine, that love is bound to pour upon creation, and it will take the form of different hues and colors. They they will be universal love for everybody, but they will be also a personal love because psychic being is like that. Even the divine, when he operates on earth. He has different categories of love, different kinds of relation with different beings, which is based on truth, not on preferences. Then that love, which forms special relations, is not based on my preferences, my pleasure, what is going to make me happy, what is going to give me pleasure. It may just be the opposite. You know, as in Savitri, there are lines to that effect: "My fiercest masks shall my closest attractions bring," because that is the work to be done. It is something which uh, I suppose only with experience one can understand. Yeah. Thank you. Um, anyone want to ask a question? Please. Uh, ah, Smita. Yeah. Sure. Namaste, Alokda. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you for a wonderful uh, talk. I had one question: How do we practice stepping back in our everyday life okay. so as to? not let the outer circumstances mm. or factors influence us good question so how do we practice stepping back so basically we have to keep reminding ourselves of the goal meaning thereby now this goal can be seen in two ways uh, one is that there is this temporary temporal transient world anityam asukham and the other is there is the permanent the eternal the infinite now people often create a division between the two that is the path of sanyasa but for us it is the path of uh, perfection so again we have to remember that all these things which appear transient hold within themselves the permanent there is that eternal in everyone so when we look at all the situations and circumstances we should try to feel out for the divine touch the divine grace the divine love the divine wisdom that is operating inside rather than be carried away by the circumstances so in one sense it is a stepping back well one that stepping back ordinarily is that is this really what i am seeking is this my goal is this going to satisfy me is this for which i am struggling so much is this of such a priceless value that i need to lose my you know deeper and higher life towards which i am striving so this is the first level of stepping back but the more important thing is behind all that that i am experiencing outwardly there is a deeper core a divine mystery that has created all this uh, appearances in front of me let me try to discover that divine impulsion the divine wisdom the divine grace the divine love which has come in this form in this garb so when we focus on the divine presence behind everything however dark and difficult the circumstances situations or people may be then we grow beautifully like shurbindo in the alipurjia so this has two movements one is from the immediate temporary things we step back by remembering why am i here to remind oneself of the goal that i am not here for this this is one part the second is by discovering by going to the core it's a different movement altogether and looking for the divine element which is hidden behind the clouds the sun which is hiding behind the storm and the cloud and even the night thank you so much